0: Welcome to Marmalade Marketing's podcast, Growth Bites. You have the privilege of being our first guest. Just a very brief overview of Marmalade Marketing. We're growth marketing specialists. An area of expertise in the business is recruitment marketing, of which I've worked in for two decades, which, you know, from the file of fax and the fax machine all the way through to AI and ChatGPT and everything we're talking about these days. Um, Technology has always been a passion of mine and hence why it's a real privilege to have you um, speaking to us today. So the podcast is called Growth Bites, as you know, uh, and we are Marmalade and I did call it after a a breakfast food item. Um, So it's only right we start with food. So what's your favorite food and why? And does it hold a special memory for you?
1: Well, personally, Joe, thanks so much for having me, especially as a first guest. Uh, I feel very, very privileged to, to be uh, in that position and really look forward to speak to you uh, 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 this, this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I love the fact that you, the food, foodie question has, has been fired because I have a reputation outside of my recruitment life as being a bit of a foodie, um, especially a, a bit of a barbecue fan. is, is uh, Outdoor cooking is my thing. So in terms of favorite food, I mean, it's a bit difficult to pick one, <laughs> in, in all honesty. Um, I've got a recent fascination and passion about making fresh pizzas, which my family seem to love. Uh, but in terms of something that's probably uh, more sort of, I wouldn't say sentimental, but just something that is just like an all-time favorite. I mean, for me, obviously, my heritage is Indians. So it has to be uh, a curry and a, a, chi- a homemade chicken curry. There's For me, there's there's nothing better in, in odyssey it, uh, not only is it just delicious to eat but for from a uh, nostalgic perspective it holds a lot of memories i mean i um weirdly enough i used to help well i shouldn't say weirdly enough but i used to help my mom make make the chicken curry and uh you know when when, when i was younger probably about 10 years old so i had an interest in helping fry off the onions and you know she'd send me to the butchers to go get the meat and i'd come back and then clean it up and then uh, like I said just help her make make uh, make the curry and obviously it was just delicious to me. my mum used to make it in a batch like you know so we'd eat it over probably two you know, the next day it tasted even better. Um and it was very much a treat for us. I mean people think obviously of Indian food oh chicken curry you must talk eat that fairly regularly but honestly it's probably once a month, once every six weeks it actually wasn't a regular it was actually like a treat for us. Mm-hmm. Um because it, it was very heavily vegetarian based and um but again so chicken curry was like a wow this is this is like a, a special time sort of thing so for me that's my all-time favorite even when I came back from holiday recently first thing I did was give, give my mum a shout and say oh, my God, she can make a curry for me and she was like yeah absolutely so I still make those requests unfortunately she's uh, you know hers are untouchable um so yeah chicken curry nothing beats it in my book oh
0: thank you so much for sharing that with us and so, um, a, quite a deep question actually, but I think we want to get to know you a bit more. You and I do know each other, we know of each other, and um, but I think just for the audience, um, what's one of your greatest life lessons in your business or your personal life?
1: Being a recruiter, I've been a recruiter for 17 years. Yeah. Uh, I set my own business in 2006 with, with, with my siblings and um, built it up, became and that's where my background is we built it up became one of the leading um specialists in, in in the sector that we worked in and then i sold it 10 years ago so recruitment has been a big part of my life i've started to you know like i said 17 years is a big chunk of my life um and i think the one thing that re- recruitment has taught me is in terms of lessons is resilience you know something that you never really get taught or kind of um, have any insight into tell you, until you're faced with something and um uh you know and certainly i left my i actually left my job in the city to start to, to actually take over the running of my recruitment business full-time in just before the credit crunch and then we we're faced with all these challenges and like and you're like what what is what prepares you for this kind of stuff right nothing so resilience has definitely been one of those things where you just like you, something just comes out of you i don't know where it comes from is it genetic is it something you picked up from somebody i don't i don't i still don't know to this day but it just brings out uh, an inner character and i don't think Honestly, I don't think without recruitment, I'm not sure if I'd have experienced that same level of um having to having to kind of go through that. Um, so that's that's definitely been a big thing. But I think from a from a life perspective, um I'm really big on um avoiding complacency. That's that's been a big life lesson for me. And it kind of goes back uh, quite a long way, actually, but it kind of cropped its head up last year because my, my son was taking his GCSEs last year, and I remember when I was taking my GCSEs. I remember when I was doing my mocks and and whatever it was, handing in coursework and whatever. One of my teachers said to me, I remember it was my form tutor. He says to be, it, it was a piece of geography work that I handed in, and he was like, "The work that you're producing is is A level standard." I was like, "Wow, okay, fantastic." I was 15 years old, whatever it was, and he went straight to my head, and I, I didn't, I didn't even pass my my geography GCSE because I just like put put my feet back, thought, oh, "I'll I'll pass that without any effort." And honestly, thirty odd years later, it's still stuck with me, and I reminded my son of it last year saying, listen, play, don't let anything get to your head. just you know people say good things, people say bad things, but you know you you take on what you need to take on, and um, you know you you kind of uh, um, you know applies you still have to apply yourself. and it's it's still stuck with me even now, right? because obviously I work on projects all the time, you know I'm juggling probably twelve to fifteen projects at one time we were working on. And I still have this motto in my head: like you're only as good as your last gig. You're only as good as your last gig, and
0: Enjoy
1: it just that. it just sort of stops me from ever. I don't think I ever will, anyway. But stops any complacency ever creeping in because, um, like I said, I've just got my fingers burnt so long ago. It's still stuck with me, and uh, yeah, I'm still kicking myself that I didn't get my geography GCSE. But <laughs> that's <what> it is.
0: <laughs> Where would you be now? <laughs> so how did you come to start your career so you've mentioned about founding your um recruitment business with your siblings pre-credit crunch mm. so that was a difficult time mm. um, but how did you come to start your career and what brought you to this point in your career what was the spark
1: um yeah so yeah so i mean the just the, the recruitment you know you speak to a lot of people and they kind of fell into recruitment which you, which you hear quite a lot right so my the way I fell into recruitment was my sister was in recruitment. She was doing quite well, uh, not being treated particularly well or remunerated particularly well. So she reached out to me and my uh, and our older brother and said, "Listen, look, I want to start my own thing. How do you feel about putting some money in and backing us, backing me?" We're like, "Cool, there you go, off you go." Little did we know that we'd be so, especially me, so involved in it. So that was my, the, so we, again, we, we, we got off up and running in the, in the recruitment uh, business. Like I said, I was working in the city at the time. So for two years, I was almost juggling full-time job in the city. Um, then coming home and on, on my way home, I'd stop off the recruitment office in, in Hammersmith, stop off there, do whatever I need to do. But it was interviewing new, new consultants, hooking up some new IT, speaking to the accountant, whatever it was. And then I was coming home for about, God knows what time, eight o'clock or whatever it was in the evening. And my wife would be like, and I, I'd left home at six o'clock in the morning. So my wife was like, it gets to a point where even though I was feeling a little bit like, God, this this is really not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, just had a kid as well, um, so this is just like, what is going on here, sort of thing. So <laughs> then, in, in the middle of two thousand eight, I decided, right, I'm going to I'm going to leave the city and then kind of obviously um, go go full time the recruitment business. So that was the that was the the bit that got kind of got me into sh- recruitment. Um, but in terms of, uh, and again, it was such a valuable experience running my own recruitment business, um, seeing all the challenges that are that faced, you know, that, that you generally face with, you know, candidates not turning up for interview, clients putting vacancies at a minute's notice, someone's uh, not doing what they're meant to be doing. And I think that is actually, when I speak to my, my clients now, right, there's a lot of empathy that they seem to find, you know, that I've sat in their seats and I can... And I can, you know, relate to exactly what they're going through. And again, the the, the reason why I set up this business, so I'm consulting, uh, which is named after my son, by the way, is um, because I saw the challenges myself when I was changing tech. And I'm a techie at heart. I was I was a techie before I got into recruitment. But I saw the challenges of, you know, whether it's a new website, a new CRM, um, a new marketing tool, uh, a new back office uh, payroll system. There's so many products out there and it's, it's, it really is a minefield. And, you know, I'm with me being techie minded. That was that was an advantage. But most recruitment business owners, forgive me for saying this, are, are more sales. They're more sales oriented, right? They're, they're not, you know, the, the other stuff that happens in the back is, is, is not their sort of primary kind of focus because they're so good at kind of what they're doing uh, in terms of driving, bringing on new clients and delivering that business. The other stuff kind of gets left behind. So that was my little lie. When I was changing to CRM my own recruitment business, I'd done the whole beauty parade, got the CRM supplies in, grilled the hell out of them. And they all told, they, all these CRM companies tell at the time saying, we never get this. When we go to most recruitment businesses, we never get this. All they want to do is see the fluffy stuff. And yeah. we, we, we demonstrate all that. And then they're like, yeah, how, how long is it going to take to put, how much is it going to cost? Um, let's go with it sort of thing. And, and what that means is that sometimes people don't actually make the right educated choice. Mm. You know, Not doing them enough due diligence. Uh, and then they buy a product that they've spent a lot of money on and it ends up, they don't end up getting hardly any use out of it. And then it's, you know, a couple of years down, down the line, it's deemed, the project's deemed as a failure, but it's not necessarily the product's fault. It's because things were done in the background to really identify the right platform, knowing the important bits that you need to be getting out of it um, and really sort of uh, just staying on top of that implementation and, and the return that you're going to be getting. And so that was, like I said, that was my light bulb moment. So certainly when I exited uh, the, the business that I sold, that was just my plan. Was just like, listen, there's a gap here. Let me start speaking to businesses and see how, how we can help. And it started off with um, obviously getting the, the CRM migrations, which is which, which is pr- pr- pretty much where I've made my name off the back of. But now we do all tech and data projects for recruitment businesses. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where it started to, to kind of where, where it is now.
0: So this leads us beautifully to the next uh, part of the podcast where we properly get under the hood and pick your brains to share some golden nuggets to to the listeners out there. So what are the growth factors you're currently seeing from a tech perspective that are enabling and facilitating growth?
1: Well, look, we currently, uh, as of today, we've worked with about 150 recruitment businesses all around the globe. Different shapes and sizes, different sectors, you name it, right? Temp um, contracts, um, all the rest of it. So, I think I'm in. A, I love the question because I think I'm in a, quite a privileged position to kind of see all this kind of stuff. And obviously, I'm speaking to owners of these businesses all the time, so you know, I get a kind of live and direct kind of kind of view. I think from from a, if we sort of break it down into two areas, like from a from a, I come to it from a tech perspective, but from a business perspective. The stuff I'm seeing that is really, really pushing people in terms of, pushing businesses even, in terms of new accounts, being able to ramp up all the additional bits that they can do because they're getting more business. It's just that real growth in retained work is mm. so, so significant in terms of how, it, how teams, uh, recruitment business can pick up this business. The you know the 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 way that the sort of re- remuneration happens o- over it just really helps with cash flow, so you can invest in other bits in your business, whether it's bringing on more people, investing in marketing or tech, perhaps. Um, so that's really been a big thing. Where, and it's not just about rocking up to a client and saying, "Listen, I know we, we normally work on a contained uh, contingency basis, but let's work and retain." There's actually more to it than that. You know? But if you can work find that angle that you can go into a client. And really pitch pitch it really well that's a really significant kind of thing you know those those pitching skills be yeah, able to sell that solution to uh your clients that's what i'm seeing my clients recruitment businesses really kind of once they nail it they're, they're laughing in honestly because it's just you know constant revenue stream They're they're not just getting the odd vacancy here and there it's you know normally half a dozen vacancies or, or whatever it is building teams and really going in and really making an impact and really Truly, I know lots of recruitment businesses say we, we want to be a partner of you, but they actually really are because they're so invested in the business and the client is invested in them in them as well. So from a business perspective, that growth in retained work is really significant. And I'm seeing some really crazy growth off, off, off the back of that. Mm-hmm. But, but from a tech perspective, um, honestly, quite simply, it's just a more informed use of data. And wow. You know, something I bang the drum about a lot of, And, you know, I've sat in board meetings with businesses and too many businesses get caught up in or how many placements of GP over the last quarter or whatever it is, which are obviously really important things. There's so much you break down so much data that goes through a recruitment business from the CVs you're sending out, from the candidates that you're speaking to, from the the contacts that you're, you're reaching out to all this kind of stuff. And yet there's so much that goes missed because people don't sit down at the end of the period, or whatever, to actually analyze how effective they are at this. You know, they're doing business development activities on spreadsheets, and then somebody else is doing it in a different way and somebody else, did. and it's so disjointed. So some, you know, the thing I talk bang on a lot about and work closely with my clients is, there's so much data that could be going through your business, but you need to be doing something with it at the end of it, because then, then otherwise, what, what's the point? You know, that's the rationale that I give. Again, you know, if, if you need to get this tech in place, it's not about having it for the sake of having this new cool tool that's out. However, it's going to make you more efficient, leaner, and the data you're going to get up the back of it is really going to help you identify: Are you doing well at it? You know, is it something that you can improve on? Is it a training? Is, it, is there some sort of training exercise that needs to go on because somebody is doing better than somebody else? And but if you're not, if you don't look at that data and actually try and understand it, you're really, re- you're really going to struggle. So, um, you know, just more informed uh, use of data is becoming really apparent and people now being open to sort of you know um, taking that on board and actually doing something with it and Mm. and again this comes from not only again the the, the data that's channeling through your your CRM for example but also being able to obtain high quality data it's now it's now within the reach of most recruitment businesses to actually say listen we're gonna target the German market, we're gonna go up to CIOs of companies of more than 50 people have had a recent Mm -hmm. round of funding this is type of stuff that's readily available out there high quality data but then what's more important is not you just download that stuff and have it sitting in a spreadsheet on somebody's Mm -hmm. desk but you actually channel it in the right way whether it's you know work with a marketing company such as yourself to say all right we're going to push a campaign out to these people we're going to engage with them this is how the structure is going to be this is this is what the sequence needs to look like this Mm -hmm. is what the cadence is about Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff is readily available it's nothing like I said, for the you know for the, for the big guys uh, big guys of this world you know I, I work with 15 20 people businesses and they're sufficiently being you know got budgets for this they're, they're getting roi of it and they can do it they can they can identify that they target our audience you know um enrich data build out personalization using AI so like I said all these this this is what I'm seeing just that more informed use of data is, is, yeah. is so apparent
0: It's a great shout. I think lots of recruitment business leaders and owners forget that data is currency. It's of huge value. But like you say, if that's not translated into anything, it can't add value because it lives in all of these fractured kind of silos. So it leads us nicely, actually, to the next question. So you mentioned about the 15 person recruitment business compared to these bigger, more established recruitment businesses, perhaps. So at what point should a recruitment business be looking at their tech stack? And can you talk us through typically what the ideal is and what it then looks like in reality? Because we know this perception versus reality is quite different.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of when they should be looking at their tech stack, I mean, it's now, right? <laughs> i do mean, not going to say that because that's what I do for a yeah. living, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't see why you'd want to wait. In uh, all, You know, so, you know a, a fresh pair of eyes and, you know, uh, um, an impartial uh, perspective can be can be really invaluable so like i said I'm, i speak to business all the time with they unfortunately a lot of my work actually comes from firefighting where people have put you know wow. made sort of uh, not the best choices uh, but again again that comes down to a lot of that due diligence that was done before so you know try and prevent that right you know, rather rather than trying to put a fix on it because the fix is going to be far more painful in terms of you know the pain that you've got to go through so if anything try and uh, try and prevent that kind of uh, Pain from happening in the first place. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of um, what does kind of good look like and stuff like that, you know, I, I work with businesses at, at different stages of the journey, right? You know, startups that, you know, that want to have best in class, but they mm. you know, don't have the budget necessarily in, in order for that to happen. So there's a bit more of a sort of piecemeal effort required there so okay, let's focus on this bit first and then we'll look at this bit and then we'll look at this bit. And then you've got some sort of mid-sized firms, you know, 25 heads up to about, you know, 50, 60 heads, something like that. And they've, you tend to see with those that they've they have made the investment in tech because they've, they've, you know, they're, they're doing well enough. They've, they've cried a few things out, um, dabbled in a few bits of tech. Some has worked, others other parts haven't worked. Nothing typically tends to talk to each other. Or if they do, it's very limited. There might be a Zapier thing going on here, but just moving something very slightly there. So it's just, there seems to be a lot of, uh dis- disjointed tech going on with with those sorts of uh, firms um and whereas when you come to the, the big guns right you know um 2500 heads more than that um you've seen them overflowing with data, <laughs> 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 data coming, br- coming out of the seams yeah, and, of, and a yeah. lot of it is it's, it's probably not the best quality because it's just been there for so long and it's never been cleansed never been reviewed never been validated Plus, there's so many moving parts of those businesses. So the silos of this data, and you might, for GDPR purposes, for example, you might remove, unsubscribe somebody from here, but they're still getting uh, you know pinged with messages somewhere else. And it's like, on, oh, this is this is scary, kind of thing. So um, yeah, I think in terms of, like I said from 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 the the reality uh, from my own experience. Again, they all have their different challenges. Whether it's budgets, whether it's just like again tech, not kind of maybe sort of gelling as, as well as it could do and then data just being a bit all over the place. And, but, um, and ultimately what that all leads to is just that inefficiency. And that's yeah. really what, what you want to start avoiding. And if you can do it earlier by, by reviewing your tech and, and, and how all that sort of sits, um, then, then, then why wouldn't you do it any earlier?
0: Mm, absolutely. Agreed. Right. So I'm going to weed this out and then I'm going to put it into a question. So the recruitment space is prolific, And it's investment in tech, from my experience, but also its reliance on it because of how evolved the sector is now. So as a result of the tech revolution, it's been much faster paced than other sectors that are going through this evolution. So from your experience and given the sector's appetite for early adoption of technology, why isn't technology successful in this space? And why isn't it returning on investment made by recruitment businesses? So basically, we have the magpie. So here's the question. So I've been marketing now um, 23 years and two decades nearly in recruitment marketing. And over those two decades, it's been the most incredible learning experience for me as a marketer. Um, I call it the magpie effect in the industry where business leaders love technology, they love investing in technology. Of course, they're building the business case for board support to be able to invest. Um, and like what you've mentioned a few times is the efficiencies and, and ensuring performance of their recruitment businesses. From because of the tech revolution, in my view, the recruitment space is is, is vast and prolific in terms of investment and uh, I see some challenges, but I'm not going to share them until you've kind of shared your insight and expertise, because you are the expert. Um, so from your personal experience and given the early adoption of technology in this space, which I've seen, you know, nothing like it really, particularly over the last five years, I'd say, mm. Um why isn't technology necessarily successful in the space and why isn't it creating or generating ROI for these businesses?
1: Um, you've really put me on the spot now, Joe, haven't you? Um, so I would say the first thing I see, again, I'll kind of go back to my previous point is just that um, when, when the, when the, if you look at it from a, a from how these businesses try and put this tech into space. so they might have stumbled across a product, somebody might have mentioned it to them, whatever it is, right? They could have seen the, been the expo, and they, they sort of see this product and they think, okay, cool, we're going to get that and we're going to put it into our business, and it will and it will work. What they perhaps don't take into account sometimes is those um, those processes around or just uh, normally associated with, with 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 that with that tech, and sometimes. I don't know if it's changed, It's that's that change of, of mindset that this is this tech bit is going to come in place and, and 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 improve things, or we're going to throw this tech at it and hope it hope it sticks. It's just kind of I think it's I think it's a mindset, it's, it's, it's partly a mindset thing. It's partly where um, you know people just aren't sort of in to look. This this new product is here. These are the reasons why it's going. To, it's, you need to use it, and this these these are the benefits it's going to have. So it's so partly a mindset thing, partly a the like um, the right identification of of, of of product because there's there's some really wonderful products out there. But I've I've I speak to two businesses, and one would say it's complete rubbish, and one would say it's the best thing since sliced bread. Well, it's the same product, so mm-hmm. why uh, why are two businesses so dis mm-hmm. you know, have so such disparate views uh, disparate views on it? It's because Again, the, the 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 one business may not the internal process may not be the greatest, so they've tried putting this tool in place as as a fix, and it just doesn't uh, quite sort of align with what they need to do. So then they need to review their process, and that's again a, such an, an important part of things, just to make sure that your you know your your process is tight um, when 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 you put stuff in, especially if we're talking CRM. That's the biggest bit of tech that a recruitment company business could put in place. But I speak to so many. By their own admission, they're only using 10% of it, and that, but that's because people aren't clear on what they need to be using it for, how they need to be using it, where the benefits are, how it's going to add value to the actual recruitment business itself. These are things that that message needs to come from the top. You know that needs that that needs to be sort of you know a combined effort from senior people in the business to say, look, this is what we're doing, getting the right people uh, across the business to buy into it and then, and then, and then try, try to plug it in. And that's where I see the things that are most well adopted is they have their own internal champions. I mean, I'm, I'm there as an external mm. consultant a lot of the time, right? But I'm off, right? Once, once the tech's in place and the, it's bedded in, I'm, I've, I've moved on. However, one thing I, I say a lot to my clients is you need to have somebody owning this internally. And sometimes they, sometimes they, people think that the tech is kind of going to take care of itself, mm. but it doesn't. You know, yeah. and that's, that's, that, that's uh, a big thing. So that's one of the things where adoption just maybe doesn't happen as, as well as it could do because they could have a great tool but people aren't using it properly and then there's not that you know you don't report you know you don't have that visibility of reporting and, and monitoring on, on the tool to see how particularly effective it is whether it's an outbound you know outreach um tool or you know whatever, whatever it is right you need to have some visibility on how on how people are using it how well it's performing where the real value is being added. And some people just like put these tools in place. and think it's going to do mm. the work by itself. And that's probably from the sales pitch that they're kind of giving it Yeah, in it's the industry. silver bullet.
0: Yeah, exactly, the silver bullet, yeah. absolutely.
1: That, that, that sums it up perfectly. But that's one of the first things. You need to have somebody internally to own it. And when you don't have that, your eye can, you, you take your eye off the ball. And before you know it, some people, that early buzz of getting this new tool has sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And people are back in their old habits. Doing stuff outside of the CRM, doing stuff manually, sticking stuff on spreadsheets, and you, then then you, then you know the owner of the business thinks oh, that that tech was rubbish. Well, it actually wasn't. It was just not, uh, you know, cause it, uh, um, implemented in, in the right way. So that's probably the first thing. I say the second thing as well. And I speak to loads of businesses that all want automation. Let's automate. I want to automate that. I want to automate as much as possible. I'm like, okay, that's wonderful. And part of my job is actually giving lots of people reality checks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a
1: lot of these businesses just, they're trying to automate stuff that um, needs more work before you can get to that stage. And, and, and by that, I mean, in order to automate something really effectively, your process needs to be strong. And whether that's, you know, onboarding a new candidate, bringing on a new client, um, you know, checking in with somebody uh, after placement, all this kind of stuff, you need to have those processes mapped out to a degree and so they're pretty strong and then you 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 pick those ones and they're the ones you go in and automate and so that's why i said to a lot of businesses that say to me automate as much as possible which is such a common sort of phrase that i hear and i listen take a step back get your core processes in shape you don't have to nail absolutely everything in the business but get your core. you know your your lead generation stuff your, your resourcing kind of things um your onboarding uh, processes if you can get those really nailed really well that's when you're in a position to then start looking at bringing in some automation and but again the the kind of um i said to people typically tend to think that it's just we'll get an automation platform in and we'll plug it in and off it'll go it'll start just bashing out messages but then you start Get some horror stories because then the wrong mm-hmm. people are getting a message about stuff and you know things just, just you know if you automate a bad process you're going to multiply the the bad effect that that kind of has so get, get your processes your core mm-hmm. processes certainly clear get them nailed and then say okay cool that one's ready we, we like the way that one works let's automate that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so yeah so just a bit of a long answer sorry Joe. but yeah nice. the, 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 two, the two areas I'd say around why things fail felt adopt is just lack of internal ownership and necessary due diligence and uh, the the processes that probably need addressing before and and reviewing just to make sure that that is the right tool for you and and that's where the value adds are going to come.
0: Yeah I think um, I share that view with you and as HubSpot solutions partners we will be working on lots of projects together in Mm. the future I'm sure. I think there's where in our experience we have a startup or scale-up recruitment business they uh, as they're going into kind of mature business phase they have a very immature view of what these internal processes should look like you know sales process marketing to sell sales, sales marketing handover to sales what post um kind of sales looks like and um, i think we've gone through huge challenges to uh defend that in its own right, that those processes, like you've mentioned, have to be absolutely spot on for any automation to, yeah. to bring efficiencies in a business because if it's built on sand, then it will fail, you know? Yeah. And another point I, I do share with you, having been um, working in my um, kind of a previous life, I was uh, worked in a recruitment business for 10 years in-house. So um, I completely had first hand experience of investment in technology and, and the the IT department were becoming you know the compliance of technology the policing of technology the the onboarding the implementation of which they are very different things so mm-hmm. user adoption falls off a cliff because there's no structure to that either so i think you're right it's there is no silver bullet when it comes to the industry and Because we have to keep up with that pace of change because recruitment businesses are often at the forefront of of this change, but it has to be done properly. So what I would say to summarize, these recruitment businesses and leaders should slow down to speed up, Mm. slow it right down, catch your breath, get your processes in place Mm. and scale it to, you know, Mm. tenfold, whatever, because the, the foundations are in place to then do so. Definitely, no,
1: absolutely. Completely agree with you. Um, Yeah, the people underestimate how important those those processes are. And, you know, it's not the most exciting of things to to be reviewing, but you get them right. And I said, then you can start tapping into these other cool bits that are out there. And, um, you know, know, AI is obviously something that people want to be be using as well. And that that falls into that whole kind of get your process nailed and then start dropping in. This is where you can drop in some AI stuff as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that would make a really good uh, other podcast because I'm all over this at the moment. It's it's of real interest to me because, again, it's deemed the silver bullet. And if it's done incorrectly, then my goodness, you know, watch out. Um, But if it's embraced and done properly, then there's huge wins for recruitment businesses. So I think we should uh, definitely have another um, podcast about that. So, your next question, you're not off the hook yet. So, if this is a good question, actually, so and you have to ask honestly. Uh, sorry, answer the question honestly. If you were a recruitment business leader, where would you be investing tech-wise right now? What would you be buying this week?
1: Uh, where would I be? Oh God, where would I be investing right now? Um, the big thing is, and again, this comes back to the whole automated bit and. Um, kind of business development side of stuff. It's outreach. That's that's the big thing that's on everybody's lips at the moment about outreach and make, being able to kind of do that properly and um, in and and looking at a logical, practical, effective solution that, that does that. It's you know data is is readily available, but what's what then needs to happen after you've got this chunk of data, all these people that you want to target, it's not as easy as just you know chucking it into a, a marketing platform and just out a message there's so much more thought that needs to go into it but not only from the messaging perspective but also that infrastructure that you need to have behind yeah. because you know email servers are, are, are far more cle- clever these days right and you can't just be sitting there bashing out emails left right and center no 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 not getting any replies back to that because soon you'll get flagged i've seen it with with many businesses where yeah. they get they get people getting flagged as potential spammers because they're just bashing out all these emails just knock up a list of 500 people that they want to be mailing and they do that about three times a day. And and, then, you know, these email servers, you know, Gmail, Google and Microsoft pretty much own these things, right? And uh, they're they're clever, right? So you've got to be smarter around kind of how you want to deliver those messages because ultimately you can have the best crafted email message in the world, but if nobody gets to read it because it's just landing in spam, then kind of what's the point, right? So um, if I was looking at something to invest in, uh from a from a tech perspective i'd be looking at that whole um the outreach piece because you're doing it in your business anyway you know it's not as if oh, we're not doing it but you're doing it but you're just not particularly doing it at the level that you could be doing it at and that means not only scale but also quality of message deliverability is a big thing you know i see a lot of vanity metrics around open rates i just open rates over okay but Reply rates are the ones that I would say are a better judge of that because sometimes open rates can be misleading because they, an email server could open it up five times and and then you think, oh, right, that person opened my email five times. And then you call them, this is a real world story. And you call them, and like, oh, see so you've opened my email. Uh, no, I've never heard you, mate. And it's because, again, go look for reply rates and that's what people should be building, their not only their content, their, um, their, their marketing solutions around, so that the, the delivery of those uh, emails or well. so you, you're just aiming to land in people's inboxes that should be um the investment that that people should be looking to make in my opinion
0: well said and perhaps using hubspot of which we're <laughs> pilot so thank you for that <laughs> um so your last question then you asked the hook <laughs> the clients we talk with sometimes have a stuck in the middle mentality so where they are afraid of too much change at once, you know, we need marketing, we need automation, we want to bring AI into the processes, oh, but we can't do that because we're changing the CRM, but we did change the CRM two years ago, but it was crap and it didn't integrate and we haven't done the due diligence properly, so we having to change it again now. So many businesses, I feel, they stay in their comfort zone at the detriment of their you know, future growth and sustainability. So from a tech perspective... What are three things recruitment businesses should be binning? So what what should they be getting rid of now? That like, Stop holding on to it. It's not adding value. Get rid. To open up budget for other investments.
1: Yeah, um, I'm sure many recruitment businesses have got these little tools that have just been sitting there, legacy stuff, and, again, not, not delivering. It's, it's, it's far too common for, for, for my liking, in honestly. honesty. Um, but in terms of, yeah, the things that I would be looking to to remove replace whatever upgrade i call it an upgrade rather than just a replacement is uh okay a lot of my stuff is around crms right so if you've got a crm that doesn't have any apis scary okay. enough there's so many out there that's still either sitting on a server in uh, in 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 the, in the in the office purring away this is 10 15 years ago stuff that you you've you had now in this day and age you've got to have a crm that has APIs so you can you know again feed stuff into it pull stuff out from it. Without being having to do exports and you know log into virtual machines and all this kind of nonsense, and you, you need to have APIs on, on, on your on CRM. If if you don't have that, that's for me is a red flag to say it's just not it's not going to be fit for purpose. it's not fit for purpose now, let alone in, in, in a few years. So certainly look to um, start reviewing that if, if if that's the case. Marketing platforms that are smart enough to avoid spam filters. Again, you. You, you know, if, you, if you've got these, you know, you're, you're sending out messages, you're, you're spending time, you know, putting these lovely messages together, sequences, all the rest of it. But if they're not being read by anybody, then that's just a big waste and it's just going into a black hole. So, again, work with, you know, a business such as Marmalade, get advice of people such as me, you know, to look at kind of how best that could work, you know. Uh, <laughs> blatant pitch there. But looking at kind of uh, do, doing that because that, for me, is you're spending a lot of money on these things, and it's not going to deliver the results for you. Um, and you know that's that that's obviously just a bit, a bit of a travesty. Um, and then the other thing, really, and it, it probably goes back to the earlier point I made when we were talking about you know that internal ownership of having somebody who's on it who knows how you, how your product is delivering or, or how your you know your your tech tool is performing and how people are using it and where the, you know and the functionality that it's offering and the benefits that it's bringing. The, the final bit is, yeah, any tech that really isn't delivering what you need, you know, In it's not a particular like a point of finger at any particular bit of tech, but if you've got some tech that you like, you know, we've got this product, some people use it, some people don't, we're not sure whether we can keep it. That for me, you need to be looking at that and making sure that you don't end up renewing it or having a chat with the vendor as well to say, listen, look, we've got this platform in place. How How more can we we better use you make use of utilization of it. I see a lot with companies that are using, for example, video platforms, which are super, super effective and powerful. But again, sometimes you see that lack of adoption, and mm. some people in the business will embrace it. Some people don't would, would fear being on camera, right? So they're like not touching it at all. Mm. And those are the things that I would say: listen, have a chat with the vendor, see what, see what they can do to help kind of um improve it. Uh, and then really, like I said, just do a sanity check on it and see where the results are coming from. Um, and and I take it from there, and honestly. But I'm sure most recruitment businesses have got, got some bits of tech there that, again, they've got it, just maybe got, got, got a good deal on it years ago or they're just, just clinging on to it for some reason. But mm-hmm. And I know, obviously, ROI is, is, is a really valuable thing that people are looking at. But one of the things that I you know, speak to businesses about and sort of bring to their attention is actually, I call it COI, which is the cost of inaction. And it's mm-hmm. kind of sitting there on, on stuff and not doing any stuff, anything with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, then, you, then you're at risk of other things, right? In terms of, you know, losing to competitors or just, just, you know, or just not being ahead of the curve as, as much as you could do. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, like I said, it's always worth reviewing your tech um, and really identifying those, those bits you don't need. But certainly a CRM with no APIs, for me, that's the number one red flag that you need to look at because you're just going to, limit yourself moving forwards as you know because all these cool new tools are coming out but if you can't integrate them with your crm then uh, again it just adds to a more disjointed tech stack which is which is what you want to avoid
0: mm. that's such a good way of putting it i think um from our experience as well having conversations with clients who will mention that the technology is no longer being maintained or supported by the provider and we're like right okay why is that Mm. Uh, and they won't they have this stuck in the middle mentality where they've plugged or or had so many um bespoke variations to the this technology that it's become this frankenstein Mm. and so to uh, retire this technology they would need someone like you but but sometimes they don't know you exist Mm. you can go in and troubleshoot and provide direction and pathways to mm. to evolve the, the business from a technology point of view. So I think if if this podcast has done anything, I think it's you know highlighted a few very important points that recruitment business owners and leaders should actually listen to and start making sensible decisions um next year and beyond. You know, new budgets are starting. Mm. And it's a it's a, a good investment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I've had this conversation with a few people where I've said to them, I was like Probably about sixty or seventy percent of my t- my time is spent actually educating people. It's not actually mm. doing any work as such, where I get, get an invoice off the back of it. It's just like educating people. Like no, this is what you need to be thinking about. This and stuff stuff. And then the other twenty percent odd is actually delivering. And I think about ten percent of it's therapy, saying it, everything's going to be okay here. Don't worry about it. We've got it sorted. We're we're, we're all good. So yeah, it certainly brings its, its challenges. But uh, but like I said, it's just it's just that education piece where data is so much more valuable than you, you, you know, you take it for granted where we're just getting all this data, we're, we're batching all this and we're spending so much on LinkedIn and job boards and we bring all this data in, but then if you're not sitting down at the end of the, the period, whatever it is to sit down and actually analyze it and assess, this is where we've done well, well done pat on the back. This is where we we, we probably need to tap into because we probably haven't got enough resource there. And this is stuff that, you know, we really need to pick up, pick up put our socks up about because we're just not seeing a return on that type of stuff. And typically to give an example, that typically means you know you could have, without analysing your data, you don't know. You know you could have you send out twenty CVs to one, you know, and uh, and somebody could get five interviews, but the other another colleague could send out twenty CVs and get fifteen interviews. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Is it the client? Is it the is it the consultant? Is a yes. role? And these are things that people should be asking themselves because that's when you can say, oh, okay, maybe it's the client not being so great, and then we need to pick up with the client to then to to educate them. Or it could be the consultant, they need a bit more training in terms of how they're very, you know, um, kind of screening candidates and prepping them and, and all the rest of it. So, but you don't, without seeing that data, it's mm. you're putting your finger in the air, right? And that's just not a good good way to be doing it. So that's, like I said, the stuff I bang on about is yeah, tech and data. But it's really because from what my experience of running a recruitment business where I lived off the data from my CRM is because you can do take something from that and actually understand how you're performing and where the you know, incremental kind of improvements can be made and spotting any danger zones before they before they actually arise. Um, so yeah, that's like I said, that's my education piece that I seem to-
0: <laughs> It's really important what you've said and to summarize, I think just going back from your initial point of, of data and the power of data, data provides the patterns to behavior, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. or of behavior, um, so data provides the patterns of behavior, whether that's from your internal consultants outreach to your audiences, your clients and your candidates and prospects, or whether it's your kind of marketing team outreach. I think it's, it's really important for senior managers and leaders to have the access, accessible data that they can make business decisions from and i think more importantly now like what you've just said if if you can't connect your crm into anything other than this standalone system then you're not going to gain any competitive advantage moving oh, forward you're just going to be left behind
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah no, that's that sounds perfectly.